Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hi, I'm Samantha. Play me something from inside Lewin Davis. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving! This is the Movie Hall of Fame class of 2013 for Friday, January 20th, 2023. And there he is across the table from me, my AI girlfriend. It's Adam Hall. Ooh, really? What's up there, Samantha? I guess they don't know. Maybe I am an AI girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> they have no Your idea. girlfriend wouldn't know the difference. I, I guess your fiance, sorry. I guess that's probably true. <laughs> Adam's fiance called him before the show started, and I answered it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> seductively, might I add. And she had no idea. Didn't know the difference. I kind of. I think I know the voice. She she went the hey. She yes. Did that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she does that to me every time I answer. Makes me very happy. But those are for me, Nico. They're not for you. Do we sound the same? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think. I, Discord. Do we sound the same? I don't know. I'm starting to question it now. The most intimate relationship you have in your life can't tell the difference. Well, she doesn't know. She did say she was a little curious. She's like, "That doesn't sound perfect, but I guess it, I guess I, why wouldn't it be him?" Right. <laughs> I get it. Apologies to all the listeners that uh, can't tell the difference between Adam and I. <laughs> Adam, we're talking about the year 2013. It's been 10 years since 2013. 10 years since we graduated high school. It's a significant year for both of us. Yeah. We were both born in the year 1995. It's the year we turned 18, became adults, could buy lottery tickets and cigarettes mm-hmm. and... Uh, not drink. Not drink, uh, at least for some of us. And <laughs> we were sent off to college. Big year. It was 10 years ago. Um, and going through all of the movies of this year, I was... Stunned. I was really stunned, first of all, by how strong the year was. Good year. Mm-hmm. And secondly, my relationship to the movies of this year, many of which I absolutely adore. Um, yeah, 2013, I think some of the best moments of my life were that year. Some of the worst moments of my life were that year. Something in between. Most of the year was somewhere in between, I would say. But the consistency was movies. I was burying myself in movies, I think, during the most difficult moments. And... During the great moments, I was sharing, uh, you know, some of the great movies um, of the year with my friends. So yeah. this was a real trip down memory lane, dude. This was this was a trip. Yeah, I hated 2013. Yeah, absolutely hated it. One uh, of the worst, personally, yes, one of the worst years ever for me. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible year. Uh-huh. Could not only only year that was worse for me was 2017 on a personal level. Uh-huh. But this is up there. Funny enough, I started the year 2017. By the way, another great movie year. Yes, great, great move. One of, one of my, you know, a few few carryovers. Funny enough, there's some poetry here. Um, but there's a, yeah, I, I couldn't stand 2013. Um, at least every year of high school, if you could believe it. Everyone's favorite for, everyone loves senior year. And I was like, God, this sucks. 
Can't wait to get out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was the opposite. I was like, you know, fingernails in the carpet. Oh, I see. Don't let me go. <laughs> Don't pull me away. Like, you know, and yeah. taken where... <laughs> You know, Maggie Grace gets abducted, <laughs> and I was very excited for college, and I love college, so that that was the other thing. Yeah, it, it made it made it a little bit easier. Fun. Yeah, you know, I had a bit of an adjustment period. I'm always a little late to adjust to things. Yeah, that's kind of my personality. Like I, when I know what I like and I kind of know my place in the world, you know, it takes a while to mold. You're you know, late to admit that you're in your you know late twenties. Yeah, you're about to be twenty eight this year. I'm I mean, a- this podcast, I'm I'm going through it right now, live on air. This is <laughs> kind of tough. <laughs> yeah, this is tough to admit. We you never thought we'd actually hit the year twenty thirteen. No, I never thought we'd make it. Th- I thought we'd be long done. Good God. So the the you're obviously going through a transition at this period of life. Like, what's your relationship to movies in particular? Because, like, for me, this is my freshman year of college at the end of it. And, you know, I got to Boston. I, I was going to Emerson at the time right during Oscar season. And the movies were a block away from my dorm. Mm. Like, it was literally the local AMC in Boston by Boston Commons was located within Emerson's campus. So I was living at that theater like i would go to a class and if i had downtime in between another class i would go see a movie Ah. uh you know on a wednesday night while my roommate was uh you know engaging in dalliances across the dorm uh with various women i was at the uh, movies seeing fucking dallas buyers club or some shit so i was burying myself in movies kind (laughs) of to i mean part partly because like my budding cinephilia i think had finally taken bloom uh, yeah. Into adulthood But also because There was nothing else For me to do Like that was just My safe space My comfort space Was that the case for you? Not so much with the movie theater But I was seeing A lot of movies Just on my own Kind of like catching up on Like thousands of movies That I hadn't seen At that point And going back in time And revisiting Going like by director I, I remember I did a Linklater run I did a Nolan run mm-hmm. I think I did a Scorsese run And if Um is also the time not well a little bit of spike jones too actually we're going to talk about that but some of these like i didn't see um you know when they came out i didn't the only ones i saw when they came out were wolf of wall street inside lewin davis the rest uh, took me a couple of years to actually see oh wow yeah so yeah like like for example like my relationship to denis doesn't start till 2016 okay so yeah yeah yep these are yeah these are for the most part movies i saw in the theater mm-hmm. and at the time there's one in particular that i saw a few years later uh, but I just have some really fond memories, dude. This was just a treat going back. That's good. Reading this list. The highest grossing movie of 2013, Disney's Frozen. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Fired, followed by Iron Man 3, Despicable Me 2, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. I did see that. And The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Didn't see that. Uh wow goodness! I, the Catching Fire is actually not bad. Yeah, a lot of people like that. I'm, I I I didn't see anything past the first movie though. I think that's the best Hunger Games probably. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree. Fast and Furious Six at number six. Monsters University at number seven. Remember that movie? I do. Uh, Gravity comes in at number eight. Man of Steel at number nine, and Thor: The Dark World number ten. Superhero movies have now crossed the Western Front. They are beginning to invade. Actually, their their yes. first real siege is beginning, you know? Yeah, unfortunately. The warning shots had already been fired the previous year with Avengers. Avengers, yeah. And now it's like, oh boy, they are really starting to take over. Yeah, I mean, well, Avengers opens the gate, really. It's the first movie to like make let you know that the, the universe is going to start 
un, you know unfolding before your eyes which is unfortunate you know hmm. i think uh I, I don't think we knew how good we had it in 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 how much moderation there was it's crazy to think of, but i remember people complaining about superhero films back in the day even when iron man was coming out and i just think back to it now i'm like oh my god <laughs> they had no idea how good they had it <laughs> jesus christ the Oscars that year was hosted by Ellen DeGeneres. I remember this. Yeah. That was the one with the selfie, with the selfie that broke Twitter. I think Bradley Cooper took. 43 million people watched the Oscars that year. 43 million. This was 10 years ago. Yeah. They tuned in to see 12 Years a Slave win Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> Over a field of American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska, Philomena, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Insane. Alfonso Coron won Best Director for Gravity. Do you like Gravity? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Not like, lo- I don't love it, but like it's good. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey won Best Actor for Dallas Buyers Club. Mm-hmm. Which I, oh, I don't know. Not anymore? I don't think so. I don't think I've even seen that movie in its entirety. <laughs> I don't think. Now, it's during the Meconaissance, which we're going to talk about in a bit when we talk about Wolf of Wall Street. But it is in the throes of the Meconaissance and the uh, the comeback narrative with him really mm-hmm. pushed him over the edge. But the following year's Interstellar, funny enough. Yeah. yeah. I guess he's better than Christian Bale in American Hustle. These are the other nominees. Bruce Stern in Nebraska, fine. Chiwetel Ejiofor in 12 Years a Slave is very good. Yeah, that would have been my pick, I think. Don't you have to give it to Leo, though? For what, Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, for the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Yeah, he's very good in it. We'll talk. Yeah. Best Actress goes to Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. Yes. Her second, soon to be third. You don't know that. I think I do. No, you don't. I'm telling you. Yeah, you think the Yo Hive I'm is telling uh, you, you have you don't dude the award season this this year in particular is very weird. I mean the fucking Fablemans is snubbed basically at the BAFTAs now, right? It yes. Got jack shit. It got a best screenplay nomination. It's, it's not gonna win, dude. Didn't get a best picture nom or a best director nom. Yeah, it doesn't have the momentum. No, I agree. It's not I yeah. I mean everything everywhere seems to be uh the odds on favorite and everything right now. But yeah. come on. It's fucking Lydia Tarr, dude. Yeah, I know, I know, but Michelle Yeoh, people love that Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, it'd be nice to see her win one. Yeah. Uh, Jared Leto wins Best Supporting Actor for Dallas oh. Buyers Club. <laughs> a mere 10 years ago, Adam, how much things changed in 10 years. Yeah. Now he's doing a Tron reboot. It's so crazy that, uh, whatever. And Best Supporting Actress goes to Lupita Nyong'o for 12 Years a Slave. Very well deserved. Very deserved. Very well deserved. I remember, though, I think this was... A month before the Oscars, the uh, the movie Nonstop, starring Liam Neeson, was released in theaters about the plane and the hijacking, and I forget the plot of that movie. Yeah. Liam Neeson's got a gun and he's on a plane, and Lupita Nyong'o plays a flight attendant in that movie yeah. for like five minutes, and she's about to win her Oscar, and I'm like, man. This oh, you is... thought that was weird? <laughs> yeah, this is a real turning of the page here for, for Lupita. <laughs> I don't even remember that she was in that. Yeah, exactly. Julianne Moore's in that, remember? As like... uh, Oh, she is. Yeah, the woman that sits next to him. That is such a completely forgettable movie. Michael Stoll, right? Or no, Corey Corey Stoll. Corey Stoll plays, I think, like a... Is he a terrorist or he's a a victim of 9-11 that 
sought revenge for 9-11 by crashing a plane. Isn't that the plot? Honorable mentions. About time. The original Conjuring came out in 2013. I like the original Conjuring. Huge movie. Yeah. Spectacular Now came out in that year. The Bling Ring. The Wind Rises. Mm, love that movie. Miyazaki. Talked about it on the show before. Uh, Bluest Warmest Color came out that year. It did it? Oh, wow. Sure did. Wow. Did you ever see that? Mm, I've seen a, most of it. It's so long, though. It's very long. It's this epic romance thing. It's a tough movie, though. Tough. tough uh, movie. Only Lovers Left Alive. The Jaramush movie came out that year. Um, this is the end. I think a very good studio comedy. Yeah, I, I yeah, I guess so. I don't really think about it much, I guess. I mean, funny enough, like if we're talking about like the best comedies ever, I mean, we I guess we have one of them of the 2010s on here. Yes. You know, I don't think it's the best, but it's, you know, amongst the best. And I guess that's another one. That one just feels kind of I've sort of forgotten about it, even though it is funny. I remember when I saw it, I thought it was really funny, but Yeah, Jonah Hill getting raped by the devil. Yeah. Giant penis. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The World's End also came out that year, the uh, finale of the Cornetto trilogy. Love that movie. Uh, Francis Ha came out. We talked about that on the Bombach podcast. Actually, is in the Movie Hall of Fame already. Uh, Short Term 12. Great fucking movie with a great young cast before you knew who any of them were. Oh, I haven't seen it. Lakeith Stanfield, Brie Larson. Fucking sick movie. Rami Malek's in it. Oh, really? really? Okay. Yeah, really, really good, Andy. Uh, Before Midnight. Oh, my least favorite before movie. Is that true? Wasn't it your favorite for a while? Yeah, it's flipped. They always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like those are great movies. Shake my brain around like Yahtzee dice yeah, and let them fall how they fall will. where they yeah. will. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. Don John came out that year. Do you like Don John? I do. Okay, we need to do John John on like a. What did we call that that podcast one time where we talked about movies everybody else hates? Just do every. Does everybody hate Don John? The yes. The consensus on Don John is that it's a horrible movie. It's, and not, it's not a horrible movie. I really like it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, In a world, a movie that I feel like has come up many times it, the last few weeks. It it has on the other pod, but you you're insistent that I see this. movie. You need to see In a World, Lake yeah. Bell. Maybe I should have nominated it. Wow, it's really good. Uh, Hodorowski's Dance of Reality came out that year. Mud, the movie that really kicked off the McConaissance. Uh, and I think like March or April of 2013. What a year for McConaughey. Yeah. Uh, Fruitvale Station came out that year. There's Again, a, a short 10 years ago. A lot of good movies. Coogler. Yeah. How the Mighty Have Fallen. Uh-huh. The Wolverine. Could be my favorite superhero movie of that year. Pacific Rim came out that year. Good movie. Surprising. Like, yeah, movie. we've talked about that quite a bit. Yeah, we like Pacific Rim. Enough Said came out that year. Really good rom-com. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, James Gandolfini. You seen that one? No. What? Nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I just didn't see it. What do you want from Did me? Did you see Side Effects? No. Goodness gracious, Adam Hall. Uh, you've seen Only God Forgives. That came out this year. Yes, I did. Uh, you've seen Spring Breakers also came out this year. I hate that movie. Fucking rules. Hate it. Uh, <laughs> Why do you like Spring Breakers? <laughs> Stories We Tell, Sarah Polly, uh, another movie coming out this year called Women Talking. Really good documentary, sort of, kind of. Elysium. Ooh. One of the greats. One of the great sci-fi movies of the last 20 years. I have I have a running list of Nico Defends dumb science fiction <laughs> films and... It's a long list. <laughs> and that's like at the top. <laughs> oh, here's a movie that came out that I defended. 
Yeah. The counselor. Oh, the counselor came out? That thing came out in 2013. Yeah, you don't actually defend the counselor, though. It's... I don't think you, <laughs> you don't view that movie the way they intended at all. Try me, motherfucker. You don't, though. You Try don't. Me. Why isn't it I on a, this list? I have list? a veto button on my disposal. <laughs> Why isn't it on this list? <laughs> the fucking counselor. Still, I think, is my worst movie ever made. Wow. I think it is, yeah. And it's a Ridley Scott movie. <laughs> yeah. See, that in and of itself, though, is reason to celebrate it. That's an incredible movie uh shall we begin the six nominees for induction into the movie hall of fame the hunt the act of killing prisoners her the wolf of wall street and inside lewin davis these were the six that made the cut i'm not sure they were all the right choice uh but we'll see i think there's a few correct lists you could have made that's what I think. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, I, I think there's a, 12 Years a Slave should probably be on here. That's a great movie. Yeah, it is. I think, like, sometimes winning Best Picture hurts you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's a deserved Best Picture. That's, that's, yes. Yeah, I could, I could make the argument that's, yeah, that could be McQueen's best movie. It's possible. It's a very good movie. I'm not sure it ever reaches the heights of the Fastbender scenes. I feel like once he leaves the Fassbender ranch, does he or he goes there after or he goes? I forget. Now. I don't know. I, Is Benedict Cumberbatch before or after? No, he's after because I love. I actually love the whole thing. I love. I love everything. Like when he's first being abducted and transported, it's really frightening. And then when he's dealing with fucking Paul Dano, yeah, oh my God, all that stuff is great and really disturbing. And you got that great cine- like like hold on a moment cinematography where it just doesn't cut. Like where it's being hanged from the tree. Yes, and like, the, just the cut goes on forever. Yeah. Oh my God, it's great. Yeah, I feel like Fassbender though still steals that movie. Yeah, well, probably. I think Lapita steals the movie, but she's great too. Yeah, I um, also not a big fan of the Brad Pitt scene at the end. Yeah, small yeah. fry. It, I don't care. Kind of felt tacked on and pointless, and not really of a piece with the rest of the movie. But no, I think it's very good. I think it's great. I think, sure, yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, let's start with the hunt though. Sure. Written and directed by Thomas Vinterberg, starring Mads Mikkelsen. A teacher lives a lonely life all the while struggling over his son's custody. His life slowly gets better as he finds love and receives good news from his son but his new luck is about to be brutally shattered by an innocent little lie. It was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars, lost to Paolo Sorrentino's The Great Beauty. Uh, kind of Vinterberg and Mickelson's The Wrong Man. A very like straight down the middle story about, I guess, not a corrupt justice system, but mob justice. Yes. Really. Mm-hmm. Uh Kind of very like simple moral parable. Very ahead of its time now, I would say. This is what I was thinking. Yeah, this is a movie that doesn't get made today. Doesn't get made today. Yeah, doesn't get made. Unfortunately, here's the thing. Part of it is everyone just like 
calls each other a pedophile whenever they don't like them. <laughs> so that's number one. Is they you just throw around the word pedophile to mean anything? Uh, and yeah, secondly, I think like the its take on mob justice and its insistence that you know that uh, that mob justice is wrong has so many political connotations now. Yeah, yeah, and you can just build so much fucking political narrative into a story that I think is just purely about human nature well that's context that's why it works so well i mean there's a lot of people now if they were to take a similar you know initial idea for a story and they would you know make it political they probably wouldn't be able to help themselves like a modern screenwriter you know because that's too current i guess which is frustrating because i just think this this story is far more universal than that you know it just applies to an ugly side of human nature that we all kind of understand Mm -hmm. uh it's an excellent parable uh, a really bleak idea and one that doesn't answer its questions easily i think it's got one hmm man there's some good fucking endings on this list <laughs> there are i think they're all like top tier endings with me i mean wolf of wall street's just it's good but it's not like it's actually that funny enough that i like the ending of wolf of wall street that's probably my least favorite ending of all of them like you, you are correct but like you are correct the hunt Prisoners and Inside Lewin Davis have phenomenal endings. Act of Killing doesn't have a great ending. It does, yeah. Yeah. Her, <laughs> yeah, for me, her, hers is good too. It's a little bit better. Not like, Her is very, um, yeah, I've, I, I've seen that ending before. It's yeah, funny, I, I was, to, yeah. We'll get to it when we get to the movie, but I was reading a review being like, man, if if only this was a Charlie Kaufman script rather than a Spike Jones script. Oh. And I, I wonder if... Kaufman does it if it's a little less sentimental now that is I think part of the magic of her is how sentimental it is but yeah that ending to me is very much I need some kind of happy bow to put on this like pretty bleak fucking dystopian tale it's a tough idea for a movie too yeah that I I don't blame it's not a wrong again it's not wrong to make it pretty in the end it's it's earned when it's that hard for the record I fucking love her so I'm not not bad I'm just talking about the endings in particular but damn, yeah. Like, Does the hunt have the best ending? Prisoners has always been one of my favorite endings of all time. It's very good. Oh, fuck. This is tough. Prisoners, what it, what that does is it brings the two sort of parallel narratives together. It kind of, it, it's a weird comparison, but it does that crimes and misdemeanors thing. Yeah. Where you're seeing, a, you know, two threads operating parallel and... Finally, and like the, the finally they cross, and it's like the, the two of them get on the la- same page. Right? At the very last moment, they need each other, and it's right. not even completely answered if they get there, which is such a whew, yes. chilling idea. It's a really good ending. Yes, ah, uh, fuck, man, active Hunt. killing is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen captured on film. We're though. gonna talk about that. That's something else altogether. Yeah, uh, but just. Exclu- is the hunt the best ending? Yes, I the think it is. Hunt's great, like that. Yes, it's so perfect. Yes, like the reason I think I go back and forth between prisoners and hunt and be and also inside Lewin Davis. We'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> I never realized. I never put it together. These are amazing These are endings. endings. This is the fucking. <laughs> I mean, this is why I love the movie so much. Is they left me out of the theater just levitating. I would go so far as to say we have four perfect endings. Yes. Here. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> that is so unheard of. I can't even, I, I can't express it enough. That's, that's yeah. highly unusual that endings are that good. Yeah. But this is one of the most uh, perfect um, statements on humanity to end the audience with. I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm sure plenty of people have seen it who have lis- who are listening to this, but I won't spoil it. But yeah. let's just say it's the right kind of bleak. It doesn't leave you like gutted, mm-hmm. but it's just, but it is that moment of like, 
yeah, yeah. What are we going to do? It's never going to really get that much better, is it? It's tough. Yeah, I'm, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to be able to beat this thing. No. Right? There's always yeah. going to be that seed of doubt out there. And I'm always, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't come across as literal when you're watching it, but you're always going to be the hunted. Right? And it's like, terrifying. Idea, right? Really terrifying. Like, it literalizes uh-huh. the sort of the theme of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is, yeah, it's horrifying. Yeah, you leave that, that theater feeling just as paranoid as the character, too. Right. And rightfully so. Right. Yeah, it's a wonderful movie. I actually think I put it at my, it's one of my top 11 movies of the 2010s. Wow. This, this list contains two movies in that list for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, how, that's how good this year was. The Hunt and one other. Yeah. Uh, Mads. Ah, Mads. Talk about Mads. It's Moss. It's actually Moss Mickelson. It's Mads. <laughs> he is fucking mad in this movie. He, yeah. Uh, the scene in the church mm-hmm. is uh, as good as acting gets, I think. He didn't win an Oscar for it, though, so I guess he's not that good. Didn't get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Like, McConaughey's amazing in Dallas Buyers Club. It's not as good as this performance, though. It's This is extra. I knew it when I was, I think when we were talking about our end of decade list, I, I think Mads, Mass, Matt, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Moss. I'm sticking with Moss. I, but I put him as my, my uh, performance of, of the decade. Or his actor of the decade, or I think, yeah, I think we, we we had to pick out one, and that that this movie in particular, I just I couldn't deny it. Here's my problem. What I don't think Dallas Buyers Club is McConaughey's best performance of 2013. Really, I don't. Yeah, I know where you. I know what you're gonna say, obviously, but like I don't. Yeah. Heck. What? 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 Just because that's iconic? Is that the only reason? No, he fucking steals the movie he in ste- three minutes. <laughs> he steals one scene. He steals the movie. It is the one scene we remember from the movie now. Yeah, but it's one. I because it was I don't know memed by frat boys. I don't know. It's it's no, not. It's more than that. It's not. Stop it. He summarizes the entire theme of that movie in two minutes he tells you everything you need to know about the movie in one fucking scene and then he goes away yeah but it could have been anybody who could have done that that role i don't know yeah sure i I could see jake gyllenhaal doing the same thing (laughs) it's you know you you wouldn't have had the chest bump though i don't know no because that was improvised improvised. Yeah, yeah, yeah i agree it's one of the best things about the movie i just don't think it it you know if you're to add up what he's doing you know just like w- with his character with what he w- what where he has to go as an actor i just don't think it's as impressive as dallas buyers club mm. tootski uh <laughs> whatever <laughs> ha! Ha! <laughs> <laughs> gotta feed the geese mm. <laughs> twice a day good stuff uh <laughs> yeah the hunt um i don't think it could get made today um, no, I, I think now you kind of look at it and it's, it's a bit simplistic in it's storytelling in terms of you really know that he is innocent early on and you understand where the confusion is and you understand why everyone would think that he's guilty. And then you also kind of understand that, you know, why they would believe him that he's not by the end of it. I mean, it takes a singular perspective, right? To make it more grounded and human to like bring you into his 
perspective. I kind of like that the movie is just honest about saying like, no, I mean, the, the whole idea is that he's not guilty. So we need you to reckon with that. And we need to, we need you to understand how frustrating the story is. Mm-hmm. That's really the big thing. It's one of the most frustrating movies ever made for that reason. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, it doesn't come across that way. If it, if, if it's ambiguous, it's a mystery and it's a di- totally different movie if that's the case. And it makes very different, you know, statements about humanity. I, I think, uh, I think the amount of hoops it throws at the character is is I don't know sort of amplifies the conflict when you know that he's actually innocent and yeah the last 10 years between like cancel culture and me too mm-hmm. and you know again all the fucking QAnon pedophile stuff like I think now you make this movie and it's like it it, it you couldn't help but think of it in sort of a contemporary way Whereas he kind of plays, if Vinterberg plays it in this very classical, yeah. Hitchcockian is the most obvious comparison because it's, you know, the wrong man. But it, it's a fable, right? The movie is a fable. Yeah, yeah. And it's a fable simply about human nature and how, uh, they, how mobs will coalesce and confirm each other's suspicions. And it's not necessarily evil. It's just how humans are, right? Yeah. It's not really judgmental towards its characters at all. It kind of just presents the w- things the way that they are and lets you sort of feel the way you're going to feel about it. Well, I mean, it, when I watched too, I, I, you know, you got to be honest with yourself as a viewer. It's like, you, you know, if, if this happened in your community, you would probably join the mob. Sure. Know? Especially if it's for the sake of a little girl. I, yeah. I, I, and when I saw it, I was like, yeah, I know I don't like what's happening to this guy, but I would probably be there with the mob. I got to be honest. Right. You know, probably. Yeah. It's an amazing movie. What else do you have to say about it? The fact that the movie uh, it makes me frustrated by, you know, the technical villains. I mean, again, they're not really villains. They're just people being people. But it makes me say like, yeah, I can't really say I'm any different than these people. I'm not. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And yeah, just like one of the most moving <laughs> films I've ever seen, particularly when you contrast that with the beginning. It does a great job at like framing this character as just a regular guy, just screwing around with his friends in the lake at the beginning of the movie, which is such a great scene and just normalizing it and just saying like, yeah, we're all just like this guy. Now let's just see how one tiny, tiny little thing will grow into this hurricane <laughs> that just derails everything for him. Yeah. Vinterberg has a way of of also like um, making these very like small town middle class stories, actually lower middle class stories mm. feel larger than life too. Right. Oh and, and he sort of, he, he elevates them to bi- biblical proportions. Another round does that. Great. Yeah. Another round is the exact same yeah, thing. It's a good movie. Um, yeah. Those two just their collaborations, dude. Yeah, I know. Really good shit. Great shit. This is a movie that I made you watch. You had not seen it, right? It has been on my list for ages, 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 and I've been meaning to see it. I remember wanting to see it when it came out (laughs) 10 years ago, and I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it. Uh, Yeah, talk about procrastination. It's been a decade. (laughs) I'm finally getting to it. Talk about putting off your homework here. Uh, (laughs) The Act of Killing, directed by Joshua Oppenheimer, co-directed by Christine Sin and Anonymous. A documentary which challenges former <laughs> Indonesian death squad leaders to reenact their mass killings in whatever cinematic genres they wish. 
including classic Hollywood crime scenarios and lavish musical numbers. This thing was nominated for Best Documentary in 2013. It lost to 20 Feet from Stardom, another very good movie. Not as good as this one, though. So what you think, my guy? <laughs> <laughs> I knew the premise, and I always found that kind of interesting, how it's about you know this bizarre mass psychosis that happens in the crazy human nature that follows when they believe in something and it causes them to do something horrifying but it's really more of a movie about movies which is very unusual yep it's it's more about what it means to be a director sometimes yep uh what it means to be a creative force what it means to have vanity uh so far up your ass you don't know who you are anymore yeah um it, it, this movie's fucked up it's one of the most fucked up movies i've ever seen in my life yeah. um and it has nothing to do with violence it has nothing to do with like you know it, you know ex- the explicit nature of like i don't know the, even even like the, the stories per se it's just these people mm-hmm. it's just the fact that they're just guys that watched a bunch of movies mm-hmm. and at one point <laughs> mixed that into their gang culture and did the most heinous things you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And not only that, b- put artistry into doing it <laughs> it's, and then take it further with this documentary and reflect on it in, in an even more artistic way. <laughs> squaring, squaring like the, the cost of that stuff. What it what it means to be someone who has these passions, what it means to be an artist in the worst fucking way. <laughs> yeah, in the, it's, it's, yes. But but also like drawing parallels by with that. Like I see, you know, I look at these guys and I'm like, yeah, they're horrible people, but are they that much different from some filmmakers? Right. Okay. Not really. So <laughs> we should kind of explain a little bit the the context here. So in the sixties, um, there was a military coup in Indonesia, yeah. and they ended up, uh, you know, taking over and using gangsters and militia groups to systematically exterminate communists or perceived communists, and some people that are just Chinese. They just persecuted Chinese as well, um, and they won. The military uh, dictatorship won, and they maintained power. And these gangsters continue to hang out and flex their muscles. And I think many of them are at least were there. We're still there in 2013 and are still there today. And uh, this documentarian, Josh Oppenheimer, stumbled on these guys, I think, while working on a documentary in the early 2000s and started to move his way up the ranks and get closer and closer to these people. Eventually comes into contact with this guy, uh, Anwar Congo. Yes. Um along with some of his cronies, and there were a few other gangsters featured as well. And uh, they would brag. They'd brag about killing the communists Mm -hmm. and torturing them and raping people and sometimes raping 14 year old girls isn't that oh one of my God. the scenes one, in the movie one of the guys is like like it's it's he, he said something along the lines of like it's not as good unless you rape them and then it's it's even better when they're 14 i'm just, right but talking about it like like so matter of factly like it's like ro- locker room talk yes right yeah 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 um oh my god and i think this guy was fascinated by this and he said well what's the best way to get these guys monsters to tell their stories and the answer i mean is pretty fucking profound when you think about it the answer is you let them make a movie yeah let them indulge their performance yes yes give them a crew yeah give them a cinematographer give them the equipment give them uh background dancers and music background tracks like musical tracks and costumes Mm -hmm. 
light yeah the whole lighting setup it looks like actual like gangster sets sometimes that you've seen in movies it's great right it's unbelievable (laughs) and yeah you learn something that like i think filmmakers understand but i don't think audience members quite understand it's that film is a birthright right the the art of filmmaking is something that almost everyone on some level knows how to do maybe they don't know how to do it well but they understand how to speak the language, yeah. especially a guy like Anwar Congo. And this is an unbelievable wrinkle in his in his myth. He used to scalp tickets outside a movie theater. Yeah, he loved Sidney Poitier. He loved Al Pacino. Like he worshipped these figures and wanted to be an American actor like that. He was a gangster murdering people systemat- uh, systematically, but. Ultimately, yeah, just wanted to be Potier. <laughs> and yeah, you have this, as you said, this performance, this very delicate performance, yeah. right? Yeah. Where you can't really tell if he is sincere or he is performing his version of sincerity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but what you ultimately get uh, is, I think, one of the great scenes, again, ever captured on film. You get this guy breaking down. Yeah. On camera, and you get him dry heaving when he's walking through um, the building where they used to murder the communists, and he's thinking about all the things that he did, and he's rewatching some of the scenes that he recreated, uh-huh. and he's learning empathy, yeah. and he's learning guilt. <laughs> Talks about the power of a movie, weirdly. Yeah. Holy shit. It's unbelievable. It's, it is definitive proof that mo- that movies can change the world. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. And you're watching, and um, I don't know, if you're anything like me, maybe your reaction was different, but I fucking liked the guy. I liked the guy, the guy by the end. Although I was horrified by the stories, I, <laughs> I liked him. You can't. I can't say I liked him, uh... But I was comfortable hanging out with him. I'd say that. And that was really weird. Yes. That was really unsettling. The movie does a great job at just illustrating he's just a dude. Right. He's really, at the end of the day, just another guy. Like, this could have been anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, just so happened he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he became a a friggin' monster. Mm -hmm. But that's all it is. Just some guy that loved movies, you know? Right. The entire time I'm watching it, I I kept thinking like Josh Joshua Oppenheimer must like he just he must be just be crossing his fingers that whatever his project that he's working on he's he must be thinking like God I just I hope at some point that they're able to look at themselves I whatever I don't know how the hell I'm gonna get there but I hope just something makes them crack now you get some but of that right you get a li- the, tiny bit <laughs> there's one of his old buddies who th- there's a very uh, frank conversation they have while fishing. Yeah. Earlier on in the movie where he's like, actually, we were the monsters here. We were the savages. Like we we were wrong to do what we did. And they're sort of and they're discussing very openly and honestly in in sort of like a therapy session between them. Like, how do you sleep at night? Because you have Anwar talking about how he's haunted by these dreams. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And again, like it's not entirely clear if he's performing or not, right? Like it's not entirely clear. Are you just saying that because you've seen enough American movies and you know the trope of like the the um, the the monster haunted by the 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 uh, I, the the actions of his past? Well, you th- and that's true. And you think about that when he f- does finally break down. Is that part of the performance as well? Part right, because the, he the, thinks the, the movie needs a Hollywood ending. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. But it's tough to say. Ultimately, no, I think there is some sincerity here. I do. I, I agree as well. Yeah. 
but there's that we- but again these these people are characters that I've seen in other movies and that was the other thing it's crazy right? that I was most surprised by it's like if you ever see a movie nowadays where it's like that that person doesn't feel like a real person they're too evil you know they're too casual in the face of atrocities that they are committing it's like well this is this is another movie that proves like no there's plenty of people like this exist and it's important to shine a spotlight on them so that we don't ever get to that you know that level again mm-hmm. but i was stunned that they did exist i was stunned that you had this guy that was reckoning with the fact that they were monsters mm-hmm. and he's just you know doing what he can to get by and kind of convincing himself just another day is another day sort of that guy's sort of in denial to a degree it's like we're monsters but i think i'm okay when probably he's not okay mm-hmm. uh and then the Anwar part was where he finally breaks down is another scene where I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've seen this villain get to this point before, but it's weird to see it happen in real life. Yeah. If it were to happen in a scripted movie, you would think the movie was being manipulative, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. Exa- you, you swear. And this is the thing. It's like the most movie feeling documentary I've seen in a long time, but it's, it's a documentary. Uh-huh. It's like, I know this is actually, they're actually doing this. Like when they're corralling the, the mobs of people to get a certain like, like horrified performance out of the people stealing their wives and, and shooting them in the streets. Like you have to really cry. You have to really scream. This is your dad being shot in the head for God. Like, and they're directing the mob. They're directing. <laughs> and the, People are giving good performances yes. out of fear, probably. But uh, right. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's yeah, no. Like there are scenes where they'll rewatch some of the footage that they shot, and mm-hmm. they'll critique the shots. Yep. Like Anwar, I think in one at one point says, "I wouldn't wear that." Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't wear white. That mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Like I would wear something darker because the blood would blend in better. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's making stylistic decisions. You know, as he's directing, and you know, he's. Uh, I think there's even at one point. Um, when when he gets the blood in his eye, the fake blood in in his eye, his buddy there, the big guy, ends up saying to him, "Oh, that'll be good for the performance. Yeah, use this to channel, you know, your exactly. your pain into the performance." And he's talking about method acting. Yeah, exactly. And these are gangsters. Yeah, I mean, exactly. these are vile <laughs> monsters. Um, that that have a real artistry to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is. I don't know, man. Like, I know some people, I think, ethically have a problem with the documentary giving these people a platform sure, yeah. or, you know, indulging in their redemption arc or whatever. And I'm not sure it's a redemption, though. I'm not sure it is either. <laughs> like, to me, dude, it's like the, the the ideas of good and evil are so fucking simple, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so much more to life than that. Like, what they did is obviously evil, but this idea that, like, there is this magical force that exists on the planet and you are either one thing or you're the other yeah, thing. Yeah. No, it's like we contain multitudes and our circumstances define us in many ways. And, um, monsters are just as important to understand as, as normal people. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, um, understanding that that language is universal, right? Yeah. Is, uh, it's tough for people to tells you all you need to know about movies. Yeah, I know. It's really hard to, for people to come to terms with that. But yeah, that, that that's entirely what the point of the movie is about. Yeah. 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 And you see them slowly get there, too. And I mean, think about that scene where the, uh, they, they burn the village. It's an incredible scene where they shoot it through the fire. Yeah. And the weird music slowly comes in. The only time where the documentary tries to be a little more, you know, movie-esque, I guess, uh, but there's this, I think the movie, it's like, there's no way of <laughs> shooting this so that it's not 
you know, horrifying. So just show it as it is. It's actually more honest to show it in this way, in a way. Right. Um, yeah. There's a lot of like expressionist expressionistic shit in here. Too. Exactly. Like the the dance number, the musical sequence with the I giant know. fish. So weird. That's really out there. And, uh, you know, Anwar essentially he they, they stage it where he is being thanked by his victims from beyond the grave. Thank you for sending me to heaven or whatever. That this is the way that they can sort of cope with the life that they built for themselves. I know. You know, through this, like, absurdist dream sequence. That's our, that's the art form of it, though. Right. That's how, that's how you get, you conquer that nightmare, you know. Right. <laughs> it's also a very funny movie. Yeah, sometimes. The big guy? See, that's another character that, you know, the f- dumb, fat character. Sidekick, you right. Remember, you remember when we were talking about Yo Jimbo? And yeah. I remember, I think you said, that's not a real character. Right. Well, yes, it is. Yes, Nico. it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's that scene where he just brushes his teeth and like the the toothpaste is like oozing out like it's a volcano just fucking getting all over his body when he's running to be like governor or something like that and then they smack they do a little a little log line that says he did not win they smash cut to him in bed with his belly hanging out Yeah, he's running for parliament. It is good to rub it in their face sometimes. God, that's so funny. He's also always in drag. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Like uh, the musical number, he's he's in this kind of um, yeah, this this blue like uh, tube top essentially, and he does these uh, very feminine dances. You can't help but laugh at the guy. You have right. to. It's so fucking funny. Um, and like that to me. The, the banality of evil, right? Mm. The, the mundanity of evil. The fact that, you know, it's just something that these people did. And now they're old men with perspective mm-hmm. and introspection. Oh, yeah. And they're dealing with it, yeah. right? And like... Uh, but the thing is, the movie forces them to deal with it. I don't... You, you wonder if they were dealing with it nearly as much before the movie came along and, and you know, really put them through, you know a regimen mm-hmm. of dealing with it because I'm sure they did and I'm sure there were nights where they thought about it a lot but the movie that's all it ever is you know that, that you know when the camera's always on you you can't kind of you can't help but you know talk about it with yourself or talk about it with you know the guy who's behind the camera right. and that's and I think that's very important to why ultimately you know the Anwar breaks down at the end mm-hmm. one of the most moving things I've ever seen but the fact that it ends with a reference to the searchers yeah Calling back to like the American myth right. and the and the power of a, of a of a movie and sort of like the, the reverse. He's an Eastern character now, right? And they rever- and they totally reverse it, right? But and it's just the fact that again, back to the banality and the mundanity. Instead of like being in the home where the daughter is delivered back to, like in the searchers. In this case, it's just a random fucking shoe shop that this guy knows, and that's where all this horrible stuff has happened. You know. Yeah, the the way that the world obsesses over the American myth is is really fascinating. And the way yeah. that these stories translate, mm-hmm. you know. Prisoners, directed by your boy, Denis Villeneuve. Denis. Starring Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Paul Dano, Viola Davis, Maria Bello. When Keller Dover's daughter and her friend go missing. 
He takes matters into his own hands as the police pursue multiple leads and the pressure mounts. Saw this movie with Nick Evangelista (laughs) on, I think it was a weekend home from college. I think so. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what happened. I remember loving David Fincher. I remember loving Seven and Zodiac. And this movie looked a lot like a Fincher movie. Okay. And turns out it is a lot like a Fincher movie. It's uh, it's kind of Fincher without the humor or the fun. And I'm not saying that too disparagingly. No. Because uh, I really like it a lot. And it is impeccably crafted. Deacons, nominated for Best Cinematography here, shoots the shit out of it. Yep. Uh, and it's got two incredible lead performances from Jackman and Gyllenhaal. Um, and Dano's really good, although they kind of yeah. just locked Dano in a box for most of it. Yeah. Uh, but it is, I think, similarly, not super rewatchable and not as rewatchable as something like Seven, for example. No, yeah. Which, I mean, at least, you know, Seven has the detective. Like, it has kind of a hammy Kevin Spacey performance at the end and has Brad Pitt with a couple one-liners. This isn't even my desk. <laughs> there's, yeah. You have that scene. And I, I think, like, Fincher, there's a sort of, there's a dark comedy that that's underneath all of his movies where this one is simply a bleak and brutal tale about the evil that lies under suburban america I, it's just a really really moving uh, mystery i like the fact that it takes itself so seriously and i like the fact that it's you know fine it's it's like oh my god finally a movie that's dark and lets itself be dark and one of the reasons i love denise so much is that he continues to do that you know not a funny guy and i don't really care not a funny guy it doesn't really matter <laughs> but but there, my, i guess my point funniest is, line of denise career let's make a baby let's make <laughs> at the end of arrival that's the funniest it's the only time i've chuckled in a denise movie can you think of one laugh uh i chuckled the first time um uh, Ryan Gosling said no thank you to Sapper Morton at the beginning of Blade Runner. Okay. When he when he's just like you want when he's talking about garlic and he has no idea what that is. He's like, yeah, you want to try some? No thank you. Okay. <laughs> I chuckled at that. Right, exactly. No thank you. Yeah. yeah. But they're not trying Runner making a baby much funnier. They're not trying to be although there is some there are some funny lines in Enemy. I should <laughs> Enemy's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I almost nominated it. Uh, Enemy I think technically had a 2014 release. Yeah, so yeah. you have a chance next year to put that in. I probably will. Yeah, if we're still doing this podcast. My fourth favorite Canadian film, film. Great movie. Wow. Yeah. High praise. Very good. High praise for the spiders. Very good. Very, very good. This is number three on my Denis list. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I am. It's a, it's one of those movies where I revisit it every. Whenever I revisit, it, I keep thinking, you know, it's not going to work on me as well, and it just nope. It's just a home run every every single time. I, it never stops being moving. Those performances never stop working on me. There is so much power in this movie, and it's still a tough watch sometimes. But you know, sometimes you need that. I like movies like this because I, again, I see you know too many. There are too many directors that are that are you know more than okay making their films funny. You know, and instead of a movie that just says no, it's this is a serious matter, so let's take it seriously. Yeah, I'm not asking for the movie to be funny. I even le- even levity. I'm like, no, yeah, just- that's not even what I'm saying. I. I think when I watch it now, I just think Fincher has done this better. Because to me, that's the kind of subgenre that he's that he's playing around with here. Now, Denny, I think, is definitely a more versatile director than, <laughs> than Fincher is. Yes, like Fincher makes one kind of story and does it really fucking well. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Denny can obviously do science fiction where Fincher really hasn't been able to do that 
um, he's kind of danced around it, but has never done full on science really fiction. It, yeah. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think like Denis more intimate moments. Yeah, that, and that's where he comes through and shines. That's what he's very good at in right. all of his movies. Yeah. You know? I just kind of feel like the movie kind of lacks the teeth that a Fincher movie does. Whereas I see this and I think this is impeccably made, impeccably crafted on every level. This is a really good gymnastics routine for the type of movie that this is. I'm not sure it leaves me with much more once I leave, though. Oh, I completely disagree with that. Okay. Because I feel the the reverse. I actually feel this has more teeth because it's even... And I am talking to the world's biggest David Fincher fan right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think... Talking about Gone Girl, for example, I don't think I can take that movie... You know, I don't think the movie's as moving to me as this one. I don't think it leaves me as impacted, or I don't think I learn as much strangely from that movie as I do this one. Maybe because it's too cool for school and stuff like that, and it's it's a little too you know edgy and fun and smart ass for its own good. Where it's just like. You know, it, it doesn't none of those movies don't particularly slap me in the face in the way that this one does. It reminds me that these actions by these characters mean more than that. And that's part of the reason why I'm I'm consistently moved by it when I go to see it, because so many movies just don't do that. This movie, you know, it's it's another one of those movies where I, I kind of have to remind myself that I'm watching a movie. Those are sometimes my favorite movies. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm really in this where I'm for, I'm you know, I'm forgetting I'm kind of in a place for. I, I'm I'm in a pocket of humanity that movies are sort of afraid to bring you sometimes. Even Fincher doesn't always go here. Uh, and I love that about them. I love kind of the, I don't like saying bravery in a movie, but the bravery that this movie goes at. It's yeah. really interesting. Um, and I just think the characterizations across the board. It's also another interesting thing, because I don't think like Hugh Jackman's character is the most like, dynamic character he's very big it's another one of those like steve mcqueen arguments though it's like he just really it's like okay if i'm gonna play an angry guy that's sort of contending with the fact that i'm supposed to be a man of god but like Mm -hmm. you know when push comes to shove i'm gonna become this bulldozer Mm -hmm. and i'm not even gonna reflect on the fact that i'm being a bulldozer therefore like forgetting what i'm what i think i'm put on this earth to do Mm -hmm. I love that. I really, really love that. And it's another movie that sort of delves into, I mean, Denise, like ever growing fascination of characters that are sort of in search for identity in the face of like really harsh nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this movie is a, another wonderful example of that. First of all, the religious iconography, I'm not sure he ever really comes back to. He's all well, he's always spiritual. There's a lot of religious iconography in Dune. Um, but yeah, okay, that's built into the source material, yeah, though, built in many in, ways, right? But that's part of why he wouldn't have done it if, if that stuff, you know, obviously there's there's an element of that in there that interests him. And it's, you know, I, I would imagine if you were to ask him about the spiritual elements of Dune, he would say, yeah, that's part of the reason why I've always loved that story. Yeah. So, you know, and, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of. I mean, there are spiritual. I mean, obviously, there's spiritual and on on Sunday and sort of like the you know the persecution of the Catholics and stuff yep. or the Christians and whatnot. And uh, I'm trying to think if because I've seen all of his films. Yeah, those are the most notable for sure. One of part of the reason I I I'd put this higher than Sicario, and <laughs> it's 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 weird because I like my top two favorite Denis films. I think only he could have made. And that's not exactly the case for this. However, it's it's also the movie that I, th- I, I I think a lot of directors could have made this movie, but I'm not sure any director could have made it quite as good as he did. Because, again, it's another one of those scripts that was supposed to kind of be a piece of shit. <laughs> and a, yeah, and a, I, I and think, a lot of people. Yeah, I think in lesser hands, this might have been like um, like a January 
Denzel Washington kind of, you know, revenge. Yeah. Like kind of a, a like direct to Redbox kind of situation. That's why I didn't see it. I didn't see it till 2016 when I was finally, I just, I just, people were telling me about this guy because by then uh, Enemy and Arri- uh, and Sakara had come out. And, and I think Arrival was that year, right? Yeah. People were getting excited for Arrival. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll see it. And I heard on Sunday it was great. And then I just binged his movie. I'm like, oh, oh, he's not screwing around. This is actually the first Denis film that I saw hmm. and I loved it. Um, and one of the things I will say about it, yeah, I think, I, I think it is one of those movies where it's like, yeah, you're right. In lesser hands, it's just nowhere near as good. It's one of the best versions of this script you could have gotten. It's an, and that's, you know, if you want my reasoning behind why I generally put it above like Sicario, um, that I, I, I like Sicario a lot. Obviously it's a great movie, but anybody could have made that movie and anyone could have made it great. You know? Uh, yeah. It'd be perfectly frank. I think Sicario is a much better script. And I think the Benicio character in particular is i mean i can watch that guy for five fucking movies i'm not sure i could spend that much time with jackman yeah but that's only because it's it's an easier watch yeah well i don't know that it uh, is those are those movies are brutal in their own way no i mean they're entertaining because they're like cartel war movies yeah that's the thing that's a more accessible movie it just is i i i've i've always I've always taken a little bit more away from Hugh Jackman's character, frankly. Uh, Gyllenhaal to me is Gyllenhaal is amazing in the movie. The eye twitch thing is really really clever. Yeah, it's out of this world. I I don't view it's funny enough. Sakara, it's a good script, but I never think of the script as much. I think that's more of it. I always think of the direction more than I do the script. And the script was changed a lot. Funny enough, if you hear about the behind the scenes, that's another interesting thing. One thing I love about this movie uh, features Radiohead's Codex. A uh, big fan of a Radiohead needle drop in all of my entertainment. Denis done it a few times. Did it at the beginning of Ansandi? Hell yeah, Denis. Yeah. That's my dude right there. Yeah. <laughs> Never said anything bad about that guy. Yeah. <laughs> ever. Love all his movies. Every single one. Not a <laughs> Home fucking run. That's what I say. About Denis. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing, my big takeaway from the movie, obviously Gyllenhaal. Yeah, Gyllenhaal's I even like Viola Davis. She's not in it that much, but she's really good in the she's time good. That she has. It, yeah, it's a lot of just like really solid character actors populating this thing. Uh, the big takeaway is how aggressively suburban it is. Yes. You know, neighborhoods like that uh, in the first, you know, 20 minutes of the movie, the, the way that we see it in the first 20 minutes of the movie. Um, so familiar. It's so fucking familiar. Your neighborhood looks exactly like a lot of these neighborhoods. Yes. Mine does. Yes, exactly like that. And um, so it's a very specific kind of white suburban neighborhood um and the idea of evil invading it to me has always been it's kind of like it's funny like the deacon's shots that i love the most are the ones where he kind of just makes the mundane look either horrifying or vibrant or when he can sort of like take a a bowling alley in big lebowski and make it fucking look like a deacon's movie we're gonna cite the same shot i'm imagining which is maybe my favorite shot in a denis film the shot in the tree Yes. Yeah. Yes. Where it doesn't it doesn't immediately say anything, but you get instantly what's happening and that something very bad just happened. That's and it's just a push in on a tree. Mm-hmm. And it's just so such a clever, clever idea. And it was Denise's idea. And I'm sure Roger was like, OK, all right. And then when he saw it in the cut, he's like, wow, oh, I get it. I get it. And it's hard to articulate why it works, too. But mm. it just you just you just know it on a weird subconscious level. And another reason why I love Denis is for scenes like that. It's just these interesting brain stemmy ideas that are 
you know, sort of in touch with, in this case, like a bad side of nature that we can't quite, I can't quite, I can't put the right words on it. But yeah, I, I my subconscious let, is telling me that there's something really good or really horrible going on here. Mm-hmm. Why don't you make up the words to this one? <laughs> okay. So here it comes. I'm lying on the moon My dear, I'll be there soon It's a quiet and starry place is written and directed by Spike Jones. Spike Jones, by the way, has not made a narrative film since this movie. I know. What the hell? He did that Beastie Boys documentary for Apple a couple of years ago, and he's been doing music videos and shorts and shit. He's in The Wolf Voice of Wall Street. Uh, he is. Fucking Spike Jones. He's in Babylon, too. Yeah, he's he fucking is. great in everything. <laughs> everything he pops up. Isn't again. he a great fucking actor, that guy? Dude, his performance in Babylon is so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's one of the greatest things about that movie. His scene in Wolf is great, too. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, this movie, uh, yeah. But anyway, come back, Spike Jones. What the hell? Make another movie. He just got his Oscar, and that's that. He's, he's done. He's resting. I guess. Well, he's that? hanging out with the jackass guys. Yeah, he was in Jackass. Yeah, he was in the fourth Jackass movie, too. Yeah, yeah. he was. Did a few stunts. Fucking Spike Jones. Um, Love the guy. This stars Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Adams, Rooney Mara, Olivia Wilde, and Scarlett Johansson. Mm. Uh, famously recast. The the role of Samantha was recast. Samantha Morton initially playing oh. Samantha. They brought in Scarlett Johansson to redub. It was that bad? Yes. Uh, well, I don't know if it was that bad. I mean... The, uh, they actually, I think, shot the scenes with her in the room. And uh, Joaquin was able to, like, bounce off of her energy in person. And when they were looking at it in post, they're like, something's not quite right here. And they brought Scarlett in, and she delivers what is, in my opinion, an Oscar-worthy performance. Yeah, but it's just a voice role, Nico. In a near future, a lonely writer develops an unlikely relationship with an operating system designed to meet his every need. As you mentioned, winner of best original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what year this movie is set, by the way? No, I take, don't. Take a guess. I've always been curious. Take a guess. 2023. Close. 2025. Ah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get it. Um... Yeah, okay, so this is part of the thing I wanted to talk about, because I remember when I finally saw this. Cause, okay, when so did you see it? I probably saw it around 2016. Can I tell the story of how I saw it? Yes. So, uh, I was chasing after this girl in high school, uh, and uh, just just running fucking like a marathon, chasing after this girl. And we were going to go see this movie together, and she ghosted me, and... Uh, so I, I called my two buddies up and I'm like, yo, you want to go see her? And so we saw her <laughs> after I'd been ghosted <laughs> by this chick that had friend zoned me so fucking hard. Oh, no. And the three of us walked out of that theater fucking 
all sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the same emotional place. We were all like, whoa, whoa man, boy. love is a fucking illusion, yeah. dude. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear, dude. Yeah, that was the story of how I saw it. Uh, yeah, this movie, it wrecked me with the day I saw it and wrecks me every time I, I've seen it since. It's one of my favorite movies ever made. It's, really? Wow. Yeah, it, it is that. It's it's um, it's um that important to me. I don't know if I can ever quite separate it from the context that I saw it. Oh, because okay, yeah. again, I'm, I, all of these movies, to a certain extent, I'm seeing them as I'm really developing you know, my taste and understanding the language oh, okay, of cinema, right? And this one, to me, is just like a perfect depiction of a not so distant future, a, a, an aesthetic look. Uh, Hoyte von Hoytema shoots this thing yeah. and uh, knocks it out That's of the incredible. park. Yeah. Um, One of the best uses of color pastels specifically that I've seen in a movie ever. Yeah. The pastels are yeah, just ridiculous. Incredible. I thought Joaquin was great. I also thought snubbed of an Oscar nomination and Scarlet. I mean that voice, it's like who wouldn't fall in love with an AI with that voice. Yeah. This is an interesting conversation for me though. Cause when I, I, it's kind of got that Brokeback Mountain thing okay. where when I, before I saw it, you know, people were saying about Brokeback Mountain. It's like, yeah, it's just the fucking gay cowboy movie. Yeah, it's a fucking gay cowboy movie. Right. Who wants to see that shit? And then this was- Isn't a, that crazy that the I, movie was just called that in the culture I for like know. 10 years? I know. Yeah. <laughs> and that was part of the reason why I, I, I was like, all right, well, if it's just a silly movie to you guys, maybe it's not that great. I guess yeah, I was like, yeah. and when I saw it, I was like, what just the, one of the fuck is the matter with the you The great people? movies of the last 20 years. Damn it. Yeah. Fucking idiots. <laughs> yeah. And it was the same thing with this. It's like, oh, it's the oh, movie where the yeah. guy has sex with his AI. You know, that fucking movie. Right, right. It's the movie where the guy fucks his computer. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Has well, phone sex with an AI. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you know, River Phoenix's brother has sex with not Scarlett Johansson, but it is Scarlett Johansson. I'm right. Like, okay. And it was not sold to me well. Let's just put it that way. Right. Uh, so I didn't see it. And I was like, all right, well, I guess it's it's not good to you guys. And then I saw it in a similar way. I'm like, what is the matter with you people? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. it's 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 fa- fantastic. It's a really, 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 really sad movie. It's really tough. <laughs> it's, it's tough. There's so many tough movies on this list. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's tough for just a guy like you and me, you know? Uh, God Just damn. a couple of fucking nerds hosting a movie podcast. I, I, it's just an all, all-timer performances, this wonderful, like, Brave New World aesthetic where it's like, it's so soft and pleasant and it's so fake at the same time and yeah. I just love that. Um, and, yeah, the I will say the aesthetic is completely believable like this is where we will be in that time that being said i i do remember when i saw it, i was like oh we're gonna get to that point with ais i'm not sure i believe that anymore honestly i've actually gone the other way with it i'm like no if we were gonna get there we would have gotten there with it already but the fact that the fact that vr sure? yep the fact that vr is currently a thing and we're not there with vr i'm like mm. yeah i don't know i don't buy it Are i don't you sure yep Okay. I do I do not buy that this type of relationship will happen anytime soon. Agree to disagree on yeah. that, my friend. Yeah, that, that, and that I think is where we we <laughs> diverge in terms of the um the watchability of it now cuz I do think it's aged well. I just think for that reason maybe not quite as well as some of the other movies here cuz it was very it felt very prescient at the time and it felt like it was going to be very ahead of its time. Yeah. The idea of falling in love with your cell phone. Yes. is an idea that in 2013 is just becoming sort of the consensus, the mainstream consensus that oh oh yeah, right, we're all in love with our phones. Yeah, yeah. The experience of just like 
like testing what love is is really what's more interesting to me more so than just the technology of this future that's created like i said i don't buy into it as much as i used to but uh yeah, I certainly buy this relationship. And I, I one of the things I love about science fiction, science fiction is, you know, some of the greatest science fiction is the one that introduces, the, you know, a shift in human nature with the challenge of technology. The technology here. Do you find this movie to be fucking T2? Because when I watch this now, I'm like... Like, this is fucking bleak, right? This is a dystopia. And yep. Spike Jones dresses it in all of the in the in the wardrobe of a rom-com no exactly complete with meat cute and you know intimate sex scenes and uh and a a breakup at the end Mm -hmm. uh and it feels very sincere in earnest um but like yeah to me this is fucking this is a warning this is a this is a bleak dire warning to humanity yeah i mean this is applicable to romantic relationships and just in general to interpersonal relationships or your relationship with social media it's like this isn't fucking real the well, thing you're experiencing is not real mm-hmm. it might feel real just like this movie feels real like yeah. you're watching it and you do fall for this ai right and you fall for this relationship and you interpret like any movie right like you and in, you interpret that the things happening on screen are actually happening uh, but they are not. No. And it is important to dissuade yourself and figure out a way to draw the line in your head. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that that message still rings true in 2023. Yes, it rings more true in 2023. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. That's what I'm talking about. I think the the more, more so how it handles the theme of love, which is really what it's all about. I mean, what we'll eventually get with Blade Runner is more about one's identity as opposed to this one, which is more about like personal relationships forming on basically you know bullshit mm-hmm. which is what this is you're right i think you're absolutely right i think that's really what it comes down to is this idea that you know we have created something to make ourselves feel better and it's all a lie mm-hmm. and that's a terrifying idea and it's one that i think we all get and that's where the movie really rings true to me uh and yeah it's in, in that sense it still works marvelously yeah i i was um i was thinking about this in prep for this podcast i was thinking about being there mm, yeah which it might sound like a weird comparison, but um, the thing about Hal Ashby movies is they're often biting pieces of social satire, mm-hmm. uh, coming home and being there in particular. I mean, yeah. Being there is, you know, a farcical kind of American political satire, uh-huh. but he always tells them completely straight and, and tells them with emotional resonance and kind of lulls you in just to kind of pull the rug out from under you and stab you in the back by the end. It's a good, good, ma- unexpected magic trick. Yeah. Yes. It well, being there literally is a magic trick at the yeah. end. And it's like, it's telling you, Oh yeah, wait a minute. Like, yeah, like exactly. Right. Literally the movie ends with a miracle. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Spike Jones, I think does a similar thing here where his social satire has pathos, right? His, his social satire comes from character um, and I guess it's not really satire. It's more commentary. It's social commentary. Sure. Yeah. It's a it's dystopian uh, science fiction. Um, yeah. But he knows how to do a love story first. Yeah. Right. Even being John Malkovich, I think similarly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Pulls that same trick on you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. No, and th- there's a few love stories going on. Complicated love. It was a love triangle, love square. Something mm. in that, but that's say <laughs> good good basis for a con- very conflict heavy romance. And this one, 
yeah, I think the way this movie pulls the rug out from under you, <laughs> though, I mean, it's just so interesting and unexpected, though. Because again, it's it's it requires like a pretty pretty vast imagination to come up with that this this idea like you could fall in love with your AI, but that AI could also love a thousand different people, and that and again. It's such a great way to like draw this world in a believable way where it just makes perfect sense to you. Yeah, it's a world that it's it's kind of utopian. It's kind of dystopian, um, but it is the brave new world. That's that's kind of what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, yes, it, it kind of is. The key being that like there there is still a value on human connection, but the human connection is becoming more and more performative. So it's like there is still a need to write love letters, but human beings in 2025 and this movie's version of 2025 are just incapable of writing them for themselves. Yeah, that's you right, where they speak. That's right. right, so they still, like, I want to communicate this feeling to you. I just need another guy to do it because I am so devoid of humanity, um, or, or at least I'm devoid of a way of communicating it. Uh, that that I need to hire someone. I need to pay someone. But the sad thing is, is that the movie reminds you that these are all barriers that we've put in front of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the really terrifying thing too. It's like we can't help ourselves. It's not. It's not that this stuff is like some alien thing that came in and and, and got the better of us. Right. No, no, it it came from within. In the name of progress. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Film by the name of Wolf of Wall Street. Oh boy. Directed by Martin Scorsese. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, Margot Robbie, Matthew McConaughey, Kyle Chandler, Rob Reiner, John Barenthal, dude. John yeah. fucking Barenthal's in this movie. Uh, based on the true story of Jordan Belfort from the quote unquote, from the rise to a wealthy stockbroker living the high life to his fall involving crime corruption and the federal government. Uh, nominated for picture, actor, supporting actor, director, adapted screenplay at the Oscars, didn't win a single one. Mm. Seems a little harsh. Yeah. $406 million at the global box office makes this Martin Scorsese's most financially successful movie of all time. And this is a movie for a guy like you and me, born in 1995, graduating high school, 2013, living in a dorm, uh this is uh, this is in the sweet spot right like we are the audience for this movie yeah it's almost too good for us yeah (laughs) i because i i was very embedded in college and boy oh boy did this movie have a fucking effect on people oh yeah oh boy on the men and the women yes i know because i was uh I was one of those guys. <laughs> the amount of mm, oh my god wouldn't stop my guy wouldn't stop. Uh, I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> oh not my. fucking leaving. Yeah. Oh my god. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> oh man. 
It was an. It did, was, it did was, the sides cure cancer? Yes, they did cure cancer. That's what the sides did. That was the problem. This was a. Uh, I thought kind of unexpected in a way. I didn't because I, you know, I. This movie was a phenomenon. It was. This yeah. movie was huge for good reason. Yeah, yeah, it's a fucking dope ass movie. Yes, this is the problem. So, 2013. Um, I'm a bit of a square. I'm a bit of a square in 2013, as opposed to now where I'm a cool hip guy. Yeah, who with, gets drunk and has sex with every multiple weekend. podcasts and takes lewds every yeah, weekend. That's right. <laughs> right. I was a bit of a square in 2013, and. Uh, I, I guess the movie didn't really work on me. The first half didn't really work in terms of uh, it didn't really entice me. This oh. lifestyle did not seem appealing to me. Oh my god! At any point, that's so hard to imagine. You like you watching this film now? <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! Yeah, I, I watched it again, and I still don't find it enticing. And find it, in fact, I find it less appealing now than I did then. Uh, but I, I at least I find it entertaining now. Mm-hmm. The the it was framed in uh, relationship to American Hustle. When it came out, the the two I think came out within a few weeks of each other. And, I remember this, yeah. right? And you have one movie directed by Martin Scorsese, and you have another movie that is clearly aping the entire vibe of Martin Scorsese. And American Hustle is almost more like Goodfellas than Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, if you can believe it. And uh, I remember erring on the side of American Hustle in that debate. And now I watch this movie and I'm like. God, what a fucking idiot I was then. Yeah. It's like, why did I like fucking RC Cola when, when uh, Pepsi was available to me? <laughs> so um, at the time, I remember seeing this with a bunch of friends uh, and we had a great time with it. Of course. And I, I met Margot Robbie for the first time. And that is an experience I will never forget. We all met Margot Robbie. We all Even met Margot. Even the women met Margot Robbie for the first time. And they were very um, insecure. Yes. And <laughs> sure, she's just doing Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny. But... Uh, my goodness, that performance worked a lot too in yeah. the 90s. And we had a, a, a My Cousin Vinny of our own now in 2013. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget like, oh, who is that? It's, who is that? I was one of those, I mean, obviously for certain scenes. Um, yes. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this was, it's because it's actually fairly rare now that I feel like I see someone for the first time. It's like, who is that? That doesn't really happen as often. Mm. Like, I, Timothy Chalamet is one of my favorite actors working today, but I didn't even really have that with him. Right. You know? Yeah, Call Me By Your Name is very good. But it's not like that movie that you, you yeah, swoon who's over. Yeah, this fucking guy? No, yeah. not, not, not quite. It, it's, it, was a, it was a culmination of movies, strangely, with him. But this was one of the most... God... Has there been a breakout role like this that was like this this much star power in one movie all of a sudden? Yeah. I can't think of it. It's right. been a while. For a total nobody that was just doing Australian Pan soap Am operas. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Exactly. Uh yeah, she she's amazing in it. And so I mean, all of that stuff, and, and obviously I I quoted the movie for many years afterwards, and it, it did become a part of the fabric of dorm culture for many. Yes, years. it did. There was always that little bit of a distance though, because it's like that just wasn't me. I had no, not a single part of my subconscious was identifiable, identifiable to me on screen. None of that looked fun. None of that looked fun. It was funny. It's funny to watch it as a farce. And I think now I watch it being like, holy shit, this is Scorsese fucking doing Blazing Saddles. You know, like this kind of, yeah, this guy is, is really doing broad, often very physical comedy Mm -hmm. in a way that he had never done at that point in his career and probably will never do again. Um, And I appreciate it as a comedy more so than anything else. And a cautionary tale about the, the cult of this, um, of this wall street culture. Uh, 
But yeah, I think at the time there was always that like, really? Like lewds don't seem fun. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that I was engaging in the amount of debauchery that these people were engaging in, because I was not. Uh, I don't think it's possible to. No, no. You would die. I don't think it's physically possible. That's that's part of the point. Um, But, you know, I had fun. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, it was, um, it's weird, because, like, I think a lot of us did engage with the, this, you know, like like we partied harder. I think part of it was because of this movie. Part of it was also for fucking Project X. You remember that? Oh, my God. Remember Project X parties? Yeah. Yeah. God, that's right. That's another movie that was the biggest thing in the world for like a month. Yep. And now your kids will never hear the name. No, nor should they, because fuck that movie. Yeah. I hate that movie. <laughs> I do, too. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, but yeah, the similar thing here. It's like, but the fact that we engaged in it means we kind of missed the point. Right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, it's so sad, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember thinking it's one of the most inappropriate movies I'd ever seen. Yep. It was hilarious. One of the best movies I had seen of that year. It is unbelievably funny. It really funny. Yeah. Really funny. It's the most impressive comedy of, of the, the, the 2010s. Just in terms of like what it's able to accomplish as a film, just as a movie, like it's a theater going movie. Yeah. You have to see this in a theater, weirdly. Yeah. It is big like that. Yeah. And it doesn't sell as well on, on a smaller screen. Still is good, but like seeing this thing on the big screen was like a transcendent experience, especially with an audience. Holy shit. Get the fucking lewds. <laughs> I'm not going to die sober. I mean, it's the hardest I've laughed in a theater. <laughs> it's amazing. Get the lewds. Get the I am not gonna die sober. Oh man, dude, it's the best. Fucking Leo in this movie, man. Is it fair to say so? He wins the Oscar for Revenant the next year for a performance. I don't know what was the reasoning there. It was physical. It was a huge, physical, impressive, I guess, performance. Even though I look back, I'm like, really? Wolf of Wall Street is a far more physical performance than that movie, though. Like he is subjecting himself to sub-zero temperatures and mud and bears and shit. I guess one is a more dangerous performance. This one is has more. It's far more range. Oh my, yes, that that's really what it is. I mean, I guess you could debate which is the more physical, but this is just it. Just requires so many more colors of an actor. It requires you to be more of an actor for God's sakes. That that's the thing I don't understand. The the, the I, fight scene with uh, him and Margot where she throws water on him and he's like he's backing away on the on the bed, like. That's incredible physical comedy he's doing there. The scene with the fight, I guess, fight with uh, Jonah Hill on the phone, and he's high off his ass. Oh my god, Jesus, fucking funny! And you yeah, know he how he snorts the cocaine and and gives him mouth to mouth. Oh my god! Yeah. And the, like where he's got the fucking uh, <laughs> and it's cross cutting with Popeye. God, that's funny. <laughs> I love the little detail where he's got, you know, the the, the cord phone and yeah. it's going back like a rubber band. Then it comes back and hits him in the face. And yeah. you know that wasn't scripted at all. Right. Yeah. It just happened. Well, yeah. 99% of no. this movie was improvised. And that's the that's the one thing I, I will say. It's like, it's just a bunch of guys fucking around. Yeah, but it's the best hours. guys ever at what they do yeah. fucking around. Exactly. That's the difference. Yeah, it's And really- they're fucking around with a Terrence Winter script. And they're fucking around with a maestro behind the camera. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. It's great. And he's just letting him cook. Like even like the Kyle Chandler scene on the ship. He is great. He's great in this movie. And now I think he's since Friday Night Lights, he's been typecast as just like the straight arrow FBI agent. But he's 
so much fucking fun in this. He is a lot of fun. The hero I'm going to be when the FBI seizes this fucking phone. <laughs> nice guy. Get the fuck off my shit. Get the fuck out. Really great meeting it. It was a pleasure. What's he going to say? I'm going to have the hooker <laughs> blow coke off my balls or something. <laughs> Look at these. They're fun coupons. Fun coupons. Go back to your cheap jobs and your ugly fucking wives. <laughs> Throws lobsters at them. What a dick. <laughs> I think it would I will say this I don't rewatch this movie As often as I would like to But I think part of that Is because I watch Interviews of the real Jordan Belfort And that guy can go Straight to fucking hell <laughs> That guy can Well go. that's the thing He made so much money Off I, of this movie No, He defrauded all these I, people I And it turns out Yeah it, Crime does pay You're apparently. the sucker I, I mean I, It's not my favorite ending On the list at all But that, that ending Where it's like You, you, you The audience Eating this shit up You're idiots too Right I mean, it's like, yeah, but you got us. It's a movie. Like, fuck you. Right. I don't like that. But yeah, yeah I get it. No, I mean, yeah. Um, also, the movie, I think, was financed by some shady Is that right? hedge fund guy who was like defrauding some foreign government and made his fortune that way. And he like wined and dined Leo and, and Marty and shit and mm. ended up funding the movie. And I think they kind of knew what was going on. They knew the guy was kind of a shady figure, but they took the money anyway because they were, they were having a hard time financing it. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of like meta stuff to the movie too. Interesting. I'm totally fine with the contradiction. I have no problem watching this movie because like it works. Yeah. It's too fun. It's, it's, it's really fun. Um, but like the fucking scene when they're shaving the girl's head and the marching band is coming in and, uh, like, this is a cult, dude. Like, this is like fucking the Branch Davidians. You remember, oh, he got depressed and killed himself a year later. Yes. That's really funny. Just as show, a little aside. Right. Like, what? It, and then the movie continues on like nothing happened. Right. Oh, my God. Marty directs the shit out of this. Yeah. Doesn't stop. Who, I mean, who won the Oscar this year for director? Koran. Oh, it was a Koran? Yeah. Ooh. Is that justified? Absolutely not. I don't think it is. Absolutely not. All, all in a green screen? <laughs> Absolutely not. But yeah, you're right. It, the movie peppers in these very bleak moments, as you said. Yeah. The, the briefest side of the guy killing himself, uh, the fights with Margot, John Berenthal's character, John Berenthal. There, there's a few moments where you kind of see the impending dread, mm-hmm. and you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even at the end, it's not like absolute hell. It's kind of just hell for those two guys, you know, for him and Jonah having to drink an alcohol-free beer. Yeah. By the pool, and I gu- and I guess something about Jordan Belfort just being like a guy standing in front of people trying to sell a pen. Yeah, I, you know, it doesn't quite come off in that way, I guess. But I guess the but, idea that the movie indulges these people and indulges the bad behavior, like I just I don't agree with that. You're just watching a different movie than no, the movie that I'm watching. One nitpick on a rewatch. Yeah, I'm not sure it's the best Scorsese soundtrack. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I agree with that. There's the blues music and the classic rock that we know from like Mean Streets on, basically. And then there's like some fucking modern shit. Like they sprinkle in Everlong by the Foo Fighters. In, in yeah, they do on the on the boat. At one point they're on the boat and they sprinkle in Foo Fighters. And I'm like They do? Yeah, this is not well, first of all, it's not era specific, because this is new pop music in a movie about the nineties. And it it to me it didn't quite feel super coherent oh. whereas like i watch goodfellas and they like you know sprinkle in 
all sorts of stuff. All sorts, like they sprinkle in the stones and George Harrison. And like sometimes they'll just take like a hook or they'll take like, you know, the end of Layla, for example, not even the, the, the main melody of, of Layla. They'll mm-hmm. just put in the last 30 seconds. And it, it just feels like this incredible symphony. It feels like fucking Rick Rubin is like mixing. Yeah. The, the is on the soundboard here in, in this movie. And whereas, um, yeah, th- this one, it kind of just felt like here's a lot of songs Martin Scorsese likes and he's going to put every single one of them in the movie at one point or another. Yeah. That was my one little nitpick. Yeah, whatever. Otherwise, I think it's one of Marty's best uh, directorial feats. Not my favorite film of his of uh, the decade, though. Silence is amazing. Silence is his best. Silence is uh, is so underseen, criminally underseen. Yep. My favorite movie he ever did about faith. Might be the best movie about faith ever. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. Unbelievable movie. And it's 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 really kind of his last theatrical film, at least so far. He hasn't made a... What, is his next film going to be on Netflix too? I hope it's not. I think not. Apple TV. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> See? Killers of the Flower Moon, yeah. Fuck. That's too bad. Second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Up on. I wanna go. Don't you me in the outer space. Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. Up on. I don't wanna go. Don't you me in the outer space. I sweat when they stuff me in the pressure suits. Bubble helmet, flash board and boots. Nowhere a bit in gravity suits. I need to breathe. Don't need to be a space. Inside Lewin Davis, written and directed by a couple fellas named Joel and Ethan Cohen, starring Oscar Isaac, Carrie Mulligan, Jod Goodman, Justin Timberlake. Of course, a young Adam Driver pops up. Uh oh. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh oh. Outer space. Outer space. Is that one of the first things you and I bonded over? Yeah, was, I remember. Was our love of Adam Driver and Inside Loon Davis? Because it was the uh, the Star Wars show, uh-huh. and I just started talking about Adam Driver and fucking Inside Loon. I was like, you know what he, Adam Driver's really good in is that movie Inside Loon Davis. Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, he's so and good. I went, uh oh. <laughs> and then we just started singing the song. Uh, good time. I don't want to go. go. Shoot me into outer space. <laughs> Wait, should you come on the pa pa? The, no, the, the second pa. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Wait, who wrote this? I did. <laughs> who wrote this crap? It's such a terrible song. <laughs> but it's so good. But it kind of rules. It does rule. No, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about that thing you do. Like, yeah. This movie knows how to calibrate the music. Mm-hmm. And where, it does, it does, it does. Right? And like, that song is really fucking corny, but also a real earworm. We're yeah, still it singing is. it 10 years later yeah, agree, yeah. to each other. And um, the folk songs are good enough. Some of them are great. Some of them are great. But even then, that might not be enough. But not even... Right, sure. Uh, A week in the life of a young singer as he navigates the Greenwich Village folk scene of 1961. Only nominated for two Oscars, Best Cinematography and Best Sound Mixing. Won neither one. Kind of a Homer-esque odyssey, much like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Sort of, yeah. Across the country for a folk singer that just doesn't have it. Just doesn't have it. And he fucking fails. Yep. And he's left in an alleyway, mugged, mm-hmm. broken, 
still fucking doing his music. Still keeps going. Smiling. Yeah. He's not dead, because these people, they don't really die. They still do their thing, but right. they ain't Bob Dylan. They ain't Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's in the other room. Yeah. Bob Dylan is on stage, and uh, he is uh, covered in a smoke-filled uh, Greenwich Village dive bar. And uh, he's Bob Dylan. Lewin Davis is Lewin Davis, and that's the only difference. And that, uh, to me, in terms of like my interests and what I look for in movies, yeah. that, uh, that says it all. Right. Basically. Yeah. It is the best movie about Bob Dylan for my money. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there have been several actually about the guy. And this one, I think, tells you all you need to know about the figure (laughs) without really depicting him. Yeah. It's another great movie just about failure (laughs) and the complicated, hard to discern nature of it all. And how sometimes it's it's a you're not even going to get a good answer. It just is what it is, man. Mm -hmm. And that's tough. But God, is it true? (laughs) Uh this movie is a fucking masterpiece. Yeah, one of my favorite movies ever made. And it, I remember, I remember uh, talking about it with you. I, th- I remember, I, I saw this in the theaters at the Bantam Cinema mm-hmm. all by myself because mm-hmm. uh, I was just so excited to see. A, a, I think this was the first Coen Brothers film that I saw in theaters. Yeah, that that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, and to date, I guess uh, I think it's the only one that I've seen in theaters. I saw Hail Caesar in theaters. I did not, unfortunately. And then Buster Scruggs right went straight to Netflix. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Jesus. That's too bad. Are they done? I don't know. Feels like they're done. I don't know what the hell happened. I wanna I wanna figure that out. I don't think anything happened. I think they're just doing their own thing now. Oh God. This is one of their best movies. This is a top three for me. Yeah, it's I, right. I Love this movie so much. I loved. I first saw it. I knew it was instantly one of my favorite movies ever made. I don't think I knew that the first time I saw it. It probably took me two or three times. It was. I don't. I don't know why. It was just exactly what I was looking for. There was something about the way it was made, and something about the way it was written, and the way it handled this character. And it was this perfect blend of. There's some really, actually, some really great craft here. But God, the character work is just so fulfilling and interesting and tough in the right way this is at a point in time where i was like give me all the depressing shit you could possibly give me Mm. i need i need a movie to keep wrecking me i guess that's another reason why i love prisoners so much (laughs) uh but this was just another one to kind of you know taking the its lens and pointing it at a very different side of humanity and uh again it's weirdly another one of those movies that actually i I loved the process so much, like something about the way the story unfolded that actually made me want to make movies more. Oh, interesting. Which is so, yeah, I just like, oh God, I would love to make a movie like this. I would love to write a character that is his own worst enemy in this way. That's just such a, I love Lewin Davis and I also hate his fucking guts. Mm -hmm. And I just love that conflict you have with the character, that interesting back and forth that's just so great. And yeah, it's 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 also a movie that proved to me like movies can really do whatever they want if they really believe in what they're talking about. And that's exemplified so gorgeously with the ending, which is so ballsy. It's it's the only reason I have trouble recommending this movie to people is because I know they're not going to like that ending. And I have shown it to people and they never like that ending. It annoys the ever living shit out of me. But I'm like, you like the rest of the movie, didn't you? Pardon? I know. They're, they're like, <laughs> yeah, it just fucking ends. What is that? It's just, it just, just fucking ends. I'm like... What? <laughs> yeah, it's like we're consuming two different art forms yeah. when you say something like that. Like I don't I Yeah, that's funny. The Coens often get knocked for their endings. 
but they have some of my favorite endings. I don't ever. think there's anyone better at ending a yeah, movie. Yeah, I know. I don't think there's they're unconventional endings. No, they are like, the best endings in yes. all of cinema. Like I know. between No Country and Barton Fink and fucking this one, like oh my god, like it's it's like it's so perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's so perfect. It's one of the, it's one of the best endings ever. I've ever it's it's like guys, did you miss the cyclical cyclical nature? Did you need it to go in another loop? Right. Is that what you needed? Exactly. <laughs> For it to end in the same spot? That's the point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a movie about a guy that fails. It's a movie about a, a folk singer that never makes it, right? And Yeah. Yeah, I think right. I think the then we've mentioned this several times on the podcast, but they, the Coens did an interview with Guillermo del Toro. Right? Have you seen that? That yes. Oh, it is uh, amazing. I recommend right. anyone interested in movies just watch that. It's right. Great. And uh, Guillermo asks them, "Why did you make a movie about a folk singer that fails?" Right. And they're like, "Well, we never thought about making one that, about a folk singer that succeeds." Yeah, it would have never occurred to us. That's would, what they said. Yeah, it would have never occurred to us. And that's like that is the brilliance of the Coen brothers, right? It's they they paint these characters that. Um, I mean, in this guy's case, he he's literally going through the same cycle. He he lives in a in a New York City that I know it's only one week, but it feels like there's there's never sun. Like it yeah, feels like the sun never comes up. It's just an endless winter. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and that is kind of like if you live in New England or New York or whatever, like it often feels that way. Like summer feels like a vacation. Yeah. I and know. Mm-hmm. It, it's just like the time in between the long fucking winters. Yeah. And that's the thing about this movie. Like it just captures just the, the horrifying nature of those five or six months. It's just a windy movie. I've never said that about it, but something yeah. about it feels cold and windy. It's and, cold and windy. And rough. <laughs> you, you need your, your, your stupid jacket with the collars pressed up. That's all I think about is Lewin walking around with his fucking gloves with the fingers sticking out. Those little, the sock. Right. Oh my God. That sock in the diner. One of the best shots of, of all the movies here. Yeah. <laughs> and he, you know, he travels to Chicago and it's yep. just as cold and it's yep. just as cloudy and it's just as windy. Uh, and it's, just as empty in the audition and that F Murray Abraham audition scene. I think we definitely talked about this at the end of the year. It It is mm. my favorite scene in any movie from the, the 2010s and perhaps one of the five or 10 in all of movies for me. Like, wow. Yeah. It's up there. That scene. What else do you want? What else do you want out of a scene? Yeah. You know? it, it was one of the more gutting things I've seen in a movie in a theater ever. I wasn't alone. Thankfully, there was a decent amount of people seeing the movie, actually. But I think there was that that we all had that same feeling of like, well, this is obviously and it kind of plays into that that cliche, I guess, where it's like they finally perform and they're given their shot like Rocky. And, and Oscar m- Isaac in this, fu- I mean, throughout the entire movie. Oh, my God. In that fucking scene. My goodness gracious. If you've rewatched it, too, it's like the the way he plays the last note. And I don't mean like the last note of the chord where he he just puts the guitar down and looks at the guy. It's not like a like a smile. Like, like I did it. Like, right. Look it's at how good that it, right. it's more like. Yeah. Go ahead. Lay it on me. What is it? I've heard it before and I'm, I'll hear it again. Yeah, I, I've seen this movie a shitload of times. I remember like picking that up. It was like my third or fourth video. I'm like, oh, he's playing that. Like, it's not, it's not pleasant. It's not uplifting. He's not even necessarily happy. He's. It's almost like no. He's, he's done this a hundred times yeah, before. He's expecting to be let down. What? And I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. What a what a horrible existence. Yeah. I don't <laughs> see a lot of money here. And it, no. and yeah, exactly right. It it pays off in the way that he expected. Yeah. The audience didn't expect it. Watching it because they're like, this is. 
incredible. Yes. This is shaking me to my core. But would it be shaking me to my core if I didn't know the guy and I just heard it on the radio? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe there wasn't a lot of money there. There had there okay, there are some people that have argued like there is hope in this movie depending on where you look. I guess there's if, ho- well, if you I mean the folk scene gets very popular once Bob Dylan comes about. So you could argue maybe there is room for Lewin Davis in the future because of Bob Dylan, but that's also not really I, I don't read the ending with that at all. No, 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 no. I don't think so either. You know, but if to those who want to view it in a hopeful way you can kind of go in that direction but i don't but that's clearly not what the coens are interested in no i and i don't i don't consider it hopeful or unhopeful i think it's it's matter of fact yeah (laughs) it's kind of agnostic by the end of it where like this is a guy yeah it's a it's a tortured existence but it's an existence he's comfortable in it's all he has it's all he has and it's all it's what he was put on the earth to do and he's going to keep doing it yeah it's not it's not like the ending is not a you know he could have very easily it just it could have ended with him saying fuck you as the guy drives away but he doesn't he just says au revoir he just says goodbye yeah and that's that Exactly. So like I don't um it's just it's just a snapshot, right? Yeah. It, and that's uh that's what the Cohen brothers fucking do. Uh-huh. They they take a slice of someone's life that often is is unremarkable mm-hmm. and they make it the most important thing in the world, right? Yeah, that's, I know. that's what they fucking do. It has an idea in it that's like it's it's funny because I remember when I saw it in the theater, it was the most unsubtle thing to me. And usually this annoys me when a movie outright tells you like the type of journey you're you're on. Um, but when I just sat back and let the movie do its job of like, yeah, I don't care. That is that's incredibly moving. It's just the symbol of the cat mm. where he's on the phone and the woman's uh, mistakes what he's saying. And it's like Lewin is the cat. Lewin is, no 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 I have the cat yeah. Lewin is the cat and I'm like oh, it's, well that's fucking on the nose right. and then when you sit through the movie it's just the saddest thing <laughs> the, the, the parallel story that's happening with that cat oh boy it's so funny in, in the way that they're often very modest about these things Joel I think said yeah we didn't really have a plot when we started filming so we put the cat in there just to kind of put some propulsion <laughs> like the cat was just in there so there's one plot point that you're kind of following but yep not really you kind of forget about it mm-hmm. 45 minutes in they always say we're not really perfectionists you know we're lazy i love in the guillermo del Toro is like it could be that it could also just because we're you know we're lazy and guillermo's like i don't know no, i don't think so he's trying to like <laughs> be nice to his heroes <laughs> it's really funny to watch that <laughs> Yeah, how do you watch a Coen Brothers movie where every line and every um and every beat is included in the script and is performed mm-hmm. meticulously and every shot is perfectly considered? Yeah, I don't know. Fucking lazy. I love those guys. I love them so much. Can't undersell um, Oscar Isaac in this, though. This Another breakout uh, actor here. Yes. You know, I, always, I, always, I mean, I always loved him in Dry, but I never thought that, oh, that's going to be in the next big thing for a guy. He is a really cool energy in Drive, yes. and he, he, yes, he is doing a very effective character actor thing. Mm-hmm. And I think if he only did movies like Drive for the next 20 years, it would have been rewarding. But I, I remember thinking Pacino. I remember watching this and thinking that's, there's a lot of Pacino here. That's fucking Serpico. Like, like that. There is so much. I mean, there's so much that he conveys in the silence. There's so much he conveys through his face, and he has that very expressive face that Pacino had in the 70s. I mean, it's just such a stray dog. It really yes. is. Just this tattered dog that's just hopping from alley to alley, mm-hmm. sleeping on whatever couch he could find. 
God, and it is just so... There's so much pain in the eyes. But so funny. It's so funny how he's, he's constantly trying to cover up that pain with just this really, really great sense of humor. This is, a, this is an, an area where the humor is so perfect, and God is a great... I mean, it doesn't... It's funny, though. It's... It's not the most obvious Coen Brothers movie to me as well. There is it doesn't have as many like Coen Brothers characters like the, the, the I don't know what those well, are. Well, the John Goodman character is. Sort of, yeah, and I also think the the um what's the guy? The the army dude is very Coen Brothers. Yes. Yeah. I I think if you know anything about them though, the ideas that they're interested in is like this oh. is this is a Coen Brothers script. This is a Coen Brothers story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's very prevalent in those characters too. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is my favorite movie of 2013. I don't know about you, my friend. It is also my favorite movie of 2013. Cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the record, we've just t- totally abandoned the the, 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 the... the criteria? The criteria. It's just not there anymore, because this is really not the... If you're to go off of our criteria, it's just not the right one. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, I think... Would have probably have been the choice, I guess. Yeah. But like... I think survey a, a thousand movie fans and Wolf probably is the choice. Yeah. But, but, I, but it's not correct. It's just not correct. It's not It's not, It's not. not as special as uh, uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Adam? Yes? This has been a fun trip down memory lane with you. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, next week, I don't know what we're doing, but we're, we've uh, we've been bouncing around with some topics, right? Kick, kicking around some ideas, yeah. Kicking around some ideas. You've had some outrageous ones. I guess I've had a few outrageous ones too. That's yeah, okay. I, I think uh, we're we're due for one. That's I I think I think we're due for one to test each other's patience. Yes, I'm. I love a good. <laughs> why did you make me do this, pod? This year, I'm just <laughs> letting you know right now, right off the top. It's still January. Uh, this show's gonna get fucking weird. This is gonna <laughs> It's gonna get weird. I'm just letting you know right now, like we're we're gonna dig deep. We're gonna dig deep through the annals of American and world cinema. I'm happy to do it. It's about time. Yeah. We've we've we we owe it to to you know. We're gonna to talk about world. some obscure directors, maybe some obscure genres, maybe genres that I am not comfortable discussing. Uh we're gonna push each other to the breaking point. Um and yeah, should be fun. I le- I gave you permission to really test my patience with one in particular because it would be funny at the very least. I'm not sure <laughs> it would be the most coherent conversation, but boy, it would be funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> you get, uh, I'm gonna get in the lab and I'm gonna try to uh, yeah pick pick the the topic that is gonna trigger you the most. <laughs> I'm trying to think like because it sounds like you're gonna make me watch five movies. Do you want to tease this now? I think here's 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 what the plan should be uh valentine's day is coming up mm. so i think we should do this romantic swap on valentine's day uh, i think you should pick a topic for me and i should pick a topic for you and we should discuss it all right so it's a it's a meaner version essentially of the i think our deal last time was friday the 13th and pink panther okay yeah i think that's what it was <laughs> which is so weird <laughs> Well, Adam, I got you now. I'm going to fuck you up. It's this little thing called the Pink Panther. (laughs) And I'm like, have fun with COVID over there. (laughs) Oh, that's right. I got COVID. You remember that? I forgot. (laughs) Uh, So go ahead. Announce your topic. We'll do it next week. How about that? Or we'll do it two weeks from now. All right. All right. Well, my idea was to do uh, J-horror. Japanese horror. Yep. 
Okay. I'm talking the original ring. I'm talking. Oh, I can't do the fucking ring, dude. I can't do those. I'm talking the original grudge. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Am I doing audition too? You're doing audition. Uh, yeah, pulse. Oh, oh, oh pulse. It's terrifying. Even for me, it's terrifying. Uh, yeah. All right. That's it. Love you. Until next time. I would let that girl give me fucking AIDS. Fuck.